Hey, welcome to service tonight. Uh, my name's Tom Trask, and this is your first time at service. I want to welcome you. Uh, I'm the campus pastor, and uh, yeah, man, you guys have a good time worshiping the Lord? I like that. Positive attitude as far as praising God. Thank you, E and friend. All right. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're in for a treat. All right. Hey, uh, let's go ahead and get into tonight's message. Uh, last week, we talked about being content. I told you guys that contentment is the key to experiencing God's refreshing. Refreshing, if I may remind you, is our theme for the school year. This is something we believe that the Lord wants to give to us in different periods of our life. In verse 1 of Psalms 23, King David said, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. We mentioned last week that there are two main reasons why we are not content. The first is that we often confuse the difference between want and need in our lives. Wants are temporary enhancements to our lives that only last for a moment. While needs, they pertain to something that, well, it pertains to our survival. And with our needs, it will determine the outcome of our lives. The second reason that a lot of us are discontent is that we are constantly comparing. Comparing our lives to other people's lives, what other people have. And sometimes we will even compare our lives to an idealized version of what we think our life should be like. And we get a little bit disappointed. We also talk that uh, contentment is not what you would call a natural behavior. A lot of us, we struggle with contentment, and it has to be a learned behavior in our lives. There are three changes that a lot of us, we can make in our life that will help us to learn to be content, even when we want. We talked about changing our priorities, how Listening to God's voice above all others and obeying Him will help us be content. We talked about changing our perspective. Seeing things from God's point of view. Seeing life through God's eyes. Because his, what God sees is way more real than what we can see through our physical eyes. And then as we seek after Him, as we live righteously, He will give us all that we need. We're going to come to the third one tonight and continue our talk on being content. Uh, last week, I kind of gave you a little bit of insight on what it looks like to do message prep as a minister. And how a lot of times it is difficult to do a message when you feel ill-equipped to speak on a topic because maybe you're not good at it. That's something that I struggle with. I do not, I'm not super content in my life, so I really struggled putting together last week's message. Let's flip to the other side of the coin tonight. I want to tell you what it's like to be a minister the day after you speak. Here's the thing you got highs and lows as a minister. When I get up here, 
just honestly, I have to be on. You have to project. You have to have energy. You don't want me to stand up here and just talk to you. Hey, Jesus loves you. You don't want that. No, I don't want that. I wouldn't want to sit there if I were you. I have to be listening to the Holy Spirit. I have to be full of God's energy. I'm doing my thing. I'm trying to preach. I want you guys to hear God's voice. If you do it well, not even, I'm not talking about the message, but I'm just talking about speaking. You're going to give everything you have. And as a minister, I want to give everything I have to the Lord. So the day after I speak, I am emotionally, physically, mentally, and spiritually drained. It's also a time that Satan tries to hit me up the hardest. He sneaks in because he knows I'm at my weakest, because I'm tired. It probably also doesn't help that I'm what you would call a bit of a perfectionist. Um, how many of y'all have taken some of those personality tests and stuff? What, Myers-Briggs, DISC? I, I made the leadership team take a Enneagram. Thank you. Uh, I'm a type, I don't know, 8 and 1, something like that. Uh, it, it's fun. I enjoy taking that stuff. It kind of lets you help, you know, learn a little bit about yourself, the areas that you're good at, maybe areas that you need to work on. Uh, I like to lead. I like to inspire people. I struggle in some areas too. And it's fun watching people take these things. Uh, e. I made E take it the other day in our one-on-one. -on -one. And, you know, you get to watch people's reactions. You know, at first he's like, oh, I don't think this. And we're, you know, he's, he asked Beck and I, is, am I like this? Like, yeah, he, I did on, man, for sure. And he's like, oh, okay. And then as he kept on reading the results, he's like, oh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, I'm a five. I'm a five, that's for sure. <laughs> and it makes you realize the good and maybe the bad. And personally, uh, I like to review stuff. I like to, you know, go over different things and different events. And while it's not bad in itself, I do tend to focus on the things I could have done better. To the point of I look for failures in everything that I do. I can see the good in other people. I can see what other people do well, and I can compliment them, but I have a difficult time doing that with myself. Even last week, Becca gave me a ride home. She's like, Tom, you need to take some time and look back at the years of ministry that you've done and celebrate the good things God's done in your life. And I struggle with that. And that's where I found myself last Wednesday morning. I was sitting, drinking some coffee, and just honestly, I was thinking about all the things I did wrong the previous night. I stumbled here in the message. That joke bombed in that place. Maybe if I would have said something better, someone would have responded better to the Lord. And if I'm going to be honest with you guys, I, I'm not 100% sure if every person in this room raised their hand and decided to follow Jesus 100%, I still wouldn't find some kind of flaw in myself. That is a heavy weight that the Lord never intended for us to carry. 
Jesus never wanted that for his children. And it was in that moment that the Lord gave me the third reason why so many of us are not content. We count our failures constantly. We're always thinking about what, what we should have done or how we could have done things better. And you see, when we live in that place, it leads to a lack of satisfaction, discontentment in all our work. And you see, if you stay in that place in your mind for too long, you begin to question whether the Lord is proud of you, whether you're even good. And let me remind you guys very quickly here. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, and he created you and me in his image, he looked at what he made, and he saw that it was good. Not because of what we have or have not done, but because we were created in the image of God. We are good. We need to see ourselves through God's eyes. And while no one likes to be in a dark place, that's where we can meet Jesus in a very intimate and personal way. And he can guide us to where he wants us to go. See, along with changing our priorities and our perspective, we need to change the way we process. We need to change our thought life. Let me kind of reestablish the rules from last week, uh, the truths, excuse me, about uh, complacency, or contentment, excuse me. First, complacency is not contentment, okay? We are called to care. Jesus cared about things in this world. Thus, Jesus worked. The key is caring about the things that matter to Jesus. When we care about the stuff he does and, he let, and we let go of the junk of this world, then it leads to contentment. Second, wanting is not evil, okay? God gives us desires. He gives us passion. He gives us drive. He wants us to seek after, you know, he wants to give us the desires of our heart when they're in line with his will. But you and I each need to understand that our happiness cannot be based on our wants. The refreshing that the Lord wants to give to us has nothing to do about how much money is in your pocket. And then finally, thirdly, it's okay to be disappointed in the moment. You are not a bad Christian if you're disappointed or sad about how something has played out in your life. I told you guys about how my wife and I had, we lost a couple children last, a few years ago. God didn't strike me down because I was sad. I believe without a doubt Jesus wept with me in those moments when I cried. And I want to go a step further this week, and I meant to say it last week, but I'm putting it here this week. Just so you know, 
it is all right to seek help from a Christian counselor. In Chi Alpha, we believe that is a good thing. We want you praying. We want you spending time in the Word. Sometimes you need an extra helping hand. Uh, There's an organization that we work with in Chi Alpha, mycounselloronline.com. They actually have a physical building, our physical presence here in Columbia, if you want to go in for counseling. They also have online counseling. That actually is a few bucks cheaper. You can do it over the internet. And if you need help, let us know. We want to get you connected. We're gonna, I'm going to have Angela put this information on Mizzou's Facebook page. And just know that we don't believe in the stigma that there's something evil or we have to cast a demon out of you because you're struggling. We want to do everything we can to help you guys be healthy and be like Christ in every single part of your lives. And so, just want you guys to know that. Tonight, as we move forward, I do want to look at some ways that we can change our thinking so that we can become more content in the Lord. We're going to do that by looking at a section of Scripture, Philippians chapter 4, written by a guy named Paul. Paul was a missionary. He was a church planner. He was an evangelist. He was an author. This guy wrote like half the books in the New Testament. He knew his stuff. And so let's quickly compare David's life, Paul's life. Last week we talked how David was chased for eight years. His father-in-law tried to kill him, drove him off from his family, from his friends. He was forced to live in another country. He was forced to live in caves, in the wilderness. And at the last minute, his own people were about to kill him before God stepped in and changed his future. You got... Then we move over to Paul's life. After his conversion to Christianity, uh, his former friends, the Pharisees, they tried to kill him multiple times. He was, three times he was beaten with a rod. Five times he was whipped by this thing called a cat of nine tails. Forty times. Really unpleasant. He was stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked. He was bitten by a snake. Paul tells us that he was cold, he was wet, he was hungry. And when he wrote this letter to the church at Philippi, he had been in prison for two years. So, who had it worse? Who's on King David's side? Do you guys think he had it worse? Maybe? How about Paul? He have it worse? It don't matter. Both lives sucked, all right? Not great, all right? or as I said last week, not well. <laughs> they were both uh, had rough lives. Have you ever met someone in your life that's always seeming to try to, how do I say this, upstage whatever you're going through in your life? Where you're talking to them, you're like, hey, how you doing? You know, they ask you, how you doing? Well, I got a cold. Well, I have pneumonia. <laughs> well, get away from me then, all right? Or, you know, 
Well, what else, what's going on in your life? Well, my dog died. Well, my aunt, twice removed, died 10 years ago. Oh, thank, okay. I'm sorry. You know, may the Lord be with you. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. People are weird. It's like people, they love to try to compare their pain to other people's pain. And they want to believe that their pain is way worse than anyone else's pain. And that no one else could understand what they are going through. I don't want to take away from anyone's experience tonight, okay? But here's the thing. Everyone has pain. And you're not alone. Life is not a competition about whose life is better or worse. No one's life is perfect. And a lot of times I think, especially you see on Facebook, and a lot of times you only see stuff from the outside. We see people and we're like, well, their life's perfect. If you get to know them, it's not. And unfortunately, I think a lot of times pain disguises itself as our friend. We spend a lot of time with pain in our lives. Sometimes, pain is all we talk about. It consumes our thought life. And instead of pressing into the body of Christ, real people with real problems, we push our real friends away because they can never understand what I'm going through. And then we invite pain into our lives. And we share our life with this false friend. See, Paul's purpose when he wrote this letter to the Philippians wasn't to shame them. It wasn't to say that my life is so much harder than yours. It was to encourage them that I mean, know, you know where you've been. I know where you're at because I'm there right now. And I want you to know that you can be content no matter what is going on around you because of Jesus Christ. You see here, in verses 11 through 13, I'll go ahead and read it to you. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or on everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full or full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Paul states that he is content with whatever he has. Nothing or everything, full stomach or empty, plenty or little. You gotta understand. Paul, at one time, had it all, at least according to the world. Paul was a rising star in the religious political world. This guy was going to be the next big thing. He was a star pupil of the leading Pharisee in the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin, just think of... uh, Jewish Supreme Court. How about that? 
Paul had great authority and power. And then Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And from the outside, the conditions of his life got worse by the world's standards. And yet, that's not what he thinks. You see, Paul has a secret to living in every situation. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. It sure doesn't sound like a guy who has regrets. I, I do love this verse, but I also think it's probably the one, one of the most abused verses in the Bible. I can do everything I want through Christ who gives me strength. I've seen people, you know, I can make money through Christ who gives me strength. I can date that girl because of Christ who gives me strength. I can do whatever I want to make myself happy because of Christ who gives me strength. And don't get me wrong, okay? This verse absolutely applies to other areas of our life because it's truth. It's only through Christ and his strength that we are able to do anything. This echoes what David said in the Old Testament that he knew where everything he had came from God. But specifically though, Paul is talking about being content in everything I do because of Christ. And if you only read those few verses, it kind of feels like Paul's holding out on you a little bit. I can do everything because of Christ's strength. And when I read that, I get a little frustrated. Because I'm like, Paul, are you going to give me the secret here? Are you going to tell me how you did it? Share the secret of contentment with me. But if you read in the text, he just kind of moves on to thanking some people for some financial support. You need to understand there are artificial breaks in the Bible. Not bad, just artificial. These books of the Bible were written as stories, and in this case, a personal letter to the church. The verse numbers and the subject breaks came much later. And while, you know, these are good, we need to make sure that we don't forget that these verses aren't just independent thoughts in themselves, but they're influenced by the ones around them. Uh, example, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago how one chapter will influence another. You know, Jesus healing the blind man in John chapter 9 influences his teaching on the good shepherd in chapter 10. In this chapter, there's a break just before verse 10. Depending on what translation you're using, it will say provision or Paul thanks them for their gifts. It doesn't mean that Anything he said before that point, the point of the break, doesn't apply. If anything, it does. You see, Paul's secret to contentment lies in the verses before it. This is just the, the climax of Paul's writing of this letter. He's finishing up writing to this church, and it's like, boom! This is how I do it, and because of these things, I can do all things through Christ, 
who gives me strength. This chapter begins a little bit weird. It starts weird because Paul's playing peacemaker between two women in the Philippian church. I w- I've always thought it'd be really cool to have my name in the Bible. You know what I'm saying? Like, crud. People read about Moses through generation of generation. Millions of people know these names. And these women, they have it. But their legacy that people get to read about for thousands of years are arguing and being kind of babies towards each other. And yet it was important enough for Paul to deal with in this letter and to specifically mention them by name. You see, they're not bad women. They're not bad people. They, Paul says that they helped him share the good news. The problem is that they had allowed discontentment to settle into their lives. And so I believe that Paul uses this as a teaching moment for all of us. And so let's go ahead and read verse 4 and 5. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. I love verse 4. Very popular. Always be full of joy. Again, I say rejoice. There are songs about it. It's wonderful. Here's the thing. I'm going to leave that alone for the most part tonight. What you need to know is joy is a byproduct of contentment. You see, our current circumstances don't have to determine our behavior if we remember the truth. I think too often in our lives we are reactionary. We let the stuff around us impact our behaviors. You know, what people say to us will snap. If a car cuts you off, I know some of you have said some things. That horn is there for a reason, you know. Sometimes it's on purpose. Sometimes it's not. But it's the outside influences that determine our behavior. And often we don't react well. Paul's telling us that we don't have to be that way. We don't have to live that way. That's exhausting. One moment you're high, and then you're low because of the circumstances around you. Paul says, let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Not just the people you like, not just your friends, not just the people that are nice to you, and not just when life is going well. Everyone. All the time. And we do it by remembering. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. You see, Paul's first secret to his contentment is that, well, he has a selective memory. When you hear the word selective memory, it tends to have a negative connotation to it. Selective memory is a tendency to remember only what one wants to remember. We've all had a conversation with someone that we talk to them, we, 
We talk to them about doing something. We need them to accomplish something. And then a couple days later, we go and we ask them, hey, have you gotten this done? And they look at you and go, what are you talking about? It's like you're crazy or something. And they have chosen not to remember. The kind of selective memory that I'm talking about tonight that Paul has is a positive selective memory. I, you, we quickly had a little uh, teaser for upcoming mission trips. When we prepare you guys to go on mission trips, we have Bible studies, we get to spend time in groups. You know, honestly, we want you to befriend the people that you're going to wi- be with because a lot of times it's going to be in a hard situation. It's going to be unpleasant. Might be hot, might be sweaty, might be gross, might be a little hungry. And, well, people get a little touchy in those situations. We ask you, if you're going on a missions trip, to keep short accounts. That we want you to remember the best in people. And remember the best in the people that you're working with, even though they might piss you off in the moment. You know that they are good people and that they are your friends, and that they love you. We want you to remember the best, even when things aren't good. And I believe that that's what Paul is trying to say to these women in the letter. He doesn't want you to be delusional, okay? He doesn't want you to ignore what's going on in your life. He wants you to choose to focus on on the person and not the problem. He wants you to focus on the person of Jesus Christ more than the problem that you're facing in the moment. To remember that the Lord is coming soon. See, that's the foundation that our faith is built on. Without that foundation, everything in your life is going to fall apart. You know, a lot of times our thoughts will determine our actions. And if that truth isn't central to your thought life, it's going to change how you behave. It needs to be real and alive in our lives. We need a selective memory. We need to make Christ the center of our thoughts. See, if he's not, and you'll be like, well... He'll be back someday. It's been a while. You know, whatever. You're not going to be content. You're not going to be happy in your relationship with Jesus. And guess what? Uh, you won't live in a way that reflects Jesus very well. See, students, we are supposed to, as men and women of Christ, as Christians, are supposed to be reflections of Christ in this world. I don't know about you, but I want people to look at me and say, I want to serve Jesus because of the change and the difference that he has made in that guy's life. He was dead, and now he's alive because of Jesus Christ. That's what I want people to see when they look at my life. Not, eh, not really impressed. Because people aren't looking at me. They need to be looking at Christ. And so that brings us to the next key to Paul's contentment. Paul prayed. Uh, Verses 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. 
Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Jesus Christ. Every time that we hear someone say, we need to pray, do we, we usually agree with it, right? Good thing. Let's also be honest with each other, all right? A lot of times when we hear someone tell us we need to pray, our first reaction is like, yes, I know. Tell me something I didn't know. And we kind of shut stuff off. Don't do that, okay? Paul understood that there's a direct connection between worry and prayer, and it's connected to our thought life. You see, we need to fill the hole that worry, that the hole of worry with prayer. Uh, Dr. Charles Mayo, the uh, guy that started the Mayo Clinic, very famous clinic, said that worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system. I have never known a man to die from overwork, but many who have died from doubt. You see, worry is complaining in our thought life. How could that happen? How could it ever work out? Why would the Lord do this? And you see, there's a thin line between worrying and prayer. There's a thin line between being a worrier and a prayer warrior, as they like to say. And I'm sure most of us, we have blended the two in our lives. Jesus wants to hear our needs. And to talk to them. But I think a lot of times our prayers kind of warp into worrying. And then we stop talking to Jesus and we're just mainly talking to ourselves. Uh, after service last week, uh, Brandy came up to me and, you know, people come up with questions and I'll be honest, she's like, I have a question about this verse and I looked and it's uh, from the book of Habakkuk. I'm like, okay, I... Yay, that will be fun. All right. And it, it's one of those things, we looked at it, and basically came down this, she's like, Tom, what's the difference? You know, how are worry and prayer different? And my response was, the difference, it's the difference between an accusation and an ask. It's the difference between an accusation and an ask a lot of times our prayer time can quickly devolve into an accusation session when our thoughts kind of get disorganized you see i believe that paul wants us to organize our thoughts as we pray tell god what you need and thank him for all he's done i don't i'm not saying that your prayer life needs to become formulaic all right I don't want your prayer life to be boring. But I do believe that maybe we should think about what we need to say to Jesus. I've found that in my life I've gotten busy. And quite honestly, the older I get, I also forget things a lot more. And I was seeing that my prayer time was not super effective because my thoughts were scattered everywhere. Uh, 
I like to say, kind of a shotgun approach to prayer. Hey, Reagan, throw up the picture for me. Beginning of the school year, uh, Tyler, Blaze, some of the boys went out, and they did a little bit of shotgun with some new guys and stuff. I'm telling you, that is the scariest event we do. Because so many of those guys, we had like 25 guys there, that a good portion of them did not know how to use a shotgun. And so they'll sit, you say something to them, and they'll swing the gun your direction. You're like, whoa, put that thing down. You know, and it, it was just frightening at times. But you understand, with the shotgun, it, it's kind of a, just a point-and-shoot um, approach. If it's big enough, you're going to hit it. There's a lot of buckshot that comes out and stuff. But with the shotgun, you are going to be limited in distance and efficiency. For myself, I felt like the Lord wanted uh, my prayer time to be a little bit more like a sniper or a rifle. More focused. More concentrated. And so, I needed to get my thoughts organized. And so, a couple years ago, my wife and I, we decided to come up with our own prayer board. Here we go. And make no doubt, I, I tend to thank the Lord in my prayer time first. Uh, kind of puts me in, uh, I like to say, an attitude of gratitude to Jesus. It also reminds me what He can do before I go ask Him for even more. But these, I would divide it by days, and these are basically names and subjects that Missy and I have determined need to be constant prayers that we take before the Lord. You got friends, you got family, you got life groups, you have different parts of the ministry, you have requests for growth and passion. And each day I'll pray through a column. And then I'll take some time for additional prayer requests that uh, the Lord's put on my heart. And then I'll take time to listen to His voice. It's really helped me to get my thoughts straight as I've prayed so I can turn my prayers and my praises into something the Lord wants to hear. And there is a peace that comes from knowing that I can actually articulate to the provider my needs. You see, Paul wants us to swip, swap out the old for the new. He wants us to swap out the worry for the peace, contentment. And not just a peace, but a peace that no one will understand. A peace that passes all understanding. A peace that people will think we are crazy because we have so much peace when our life looks like it's falling apart. You see, you need to think of the literary illustration, I think is the right word here, that Paul was using. Paul is in prison. He is writing this letter to the Philippians. And he is trying to think of a way to articulate to them how strong and how powerful this piece is. And he is at his desk working. And he is literally chained to a guard. And he's writing. It's like, how do I describe how powerful this is? 
And he takes a situation that is bad and articulates it into how strong God's peace is. See, the word that he uses there, guard, is a military word, a military garrison that helps prevent invasion. Jesus' peace prevents an invasion into our minds of Satan and his works so that we can stand strong. So that even when the outside world looks bad, we know we have peace because of him. So that takes us to Paul's final key to contentment. Take your thoughts captive. That is a phrase that my wife has been using for years. So I'm stealing it tonight, okay? Take your thoughts captive. Verses 8 and 9. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the peace, then the God of peace will be with you. Make your thoughts submit to you. Make your thoughts submit to Jesus instead of you submitting to them. You see, contentment is a learned behavior and it's part of the spiritual discipline of training yourself. You need to fix your thoughts. Uh, Please do not take this the bad way, but I'm going with it. Uh, Some of you have met my dog, Nevaeh. Nevaeh, this is adorable, yes, she's 14 years old now, okay. This was 14 years ago. My dog, her breed is only supposed to last like 10, 8 to 10 years max. She is over 14 years now. That thing just holds on, man, I'm telling you. Yes, and we drug her quite often, so she feels better. It's okay. It's, her quality of life is still good, no worries, man, we wouldn't do that. Drugs help. All right. Here's the Nevea was cute. Drugs are okay for dogs, folks, okay? <laughs> Fact that I have to say that makes me a little scared, but yes. Wow. Okay. Did not see that coming. All right. All right. Just to be honest with you, Nevea was not great at learning tricks. We were able to train her a little bit when she was a puppy, and she could do a few minor tricks. The key with her was getting her fixated on one thing, obviously the treat in my hand. And it took her forever to learn how to sit and to shake and lay down, and then I gave up after that because I didn't have the patience. <laughs> but eventually... Nevaeh's behaviors and actions revolved around getting this treat. It focused her behavior. Without focus, my dog destroys things. She has chewed up couches. She has ate through the drywall and ate the insulation of my house. I'm not kidding. <laughs> she digs holes. She, she needs that focus. Bad things happen if she doesn't. You see, if we want a content life, 
if we, if you want a content life so you can experience God's refreshing, our thoughts need to be focused on the object that will get us there. See, contentment is a lifestyle. The result of locking our thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and worthy of praise, and that is Jesus Christ. You see, Paul's primary thought was on hope. The hope found in Jesus. How you think matters, folks. Our thoughts can dominate us. I've seen people frozen with fear and indecision because their thoughts are not fixed on the Lord. Instead, they've allowed the circumstances around them, the voices on the outside, Satan, the world, even their own desires to dominate them. Our thought pattern needs to change so that we can control our life. But Tom, I I can't let go of the past and it influences my behavior today. It's time to have selective memory. Let the fact that the Son of God saved us, redeemed us, and is coming soon cause you to live in a way that accurately reflects Jesus in the world around us. Take time to think think through and organize your prayer time so it can be more effective and it can deepen your relationship with the Father. Train your thought life. Make the choice to submit your body and your mind to the Lord. I understand it's not always easy, but it's worth it. And here's the thing. Sometimes we need help. Even when we choose to fix our eyes on Jesus, we struggle. But here's the thing about our good shepherd. When we choose to do what is right, he comes alongside of us and he helps us. And so I want to encourage you, submit yourself to the Lord and he will help you. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you and plead with you and give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, and it is good and pleasing and perfect. Then you will know contentment. Probably talk about this submission thing over the next couple of weeks too, too. Bow your heads.